1: That's ChumbaCasino.com.
0: No purchase necessary. VTW group void. prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
1: The following episode of Bread for the People is brought to you by Side Hustle Bread, Long Island's handcrafted artisanal bread company. Side Hustle Bread is a family-run virtual bakery that's bringing the neighborhood feel back to Long Island one loaf at a time. Head on over to SideHustleBread.com for more information, upcoming appearances, and merchandise. My name's Jim Serpico, and this... Should I start with my name? Or should I start with, this is Bread for the People? Do you like it like this? Welcome to Bread, or do you like it like this? Welcome, ready? Welcome to Bread for the People. Mind, j- fuck, is there a script? Welcome to Bread for the People, I'm Jim Serpico. As many of you know, I am a part-time slash full-time baker. I started baking out of my garage about three years ago with my family. Uh, We were hitting farmer's markets, and we started baking with inclusions. And somebody complained, and somebody came knocking on my door and said, you can't do that in your home. There's some cottage industry laws. Let's say if you bake with hazardous materials, you know if no one finds out, that's one thing, but someone's comp- someone's got it out for you and it's not a neighbor. Who it is to this day, I don't know, but it's been a blessing in disguise. We are now out of the garage. We're doing multiple farmer's markets. We're about to bring our own mobile cafe out on the road. We're gonna tow a trailer and we're gonna make sandwiches on our bread. So we're very excited about that. But my next guest operates a wood-fired garage bakery. I've been admiring him on Instagram for quite some time. He likes to say working with the natural world and its systems is a priority of his. Even more so is his interest in working to further the value of environmental awareness. Please welcome the founder and owner of The Hudson Oven, Chase Harnett.
0: Hello. Thanks for having me.
1: Thanks for being here, man. I I really do love, besides being a baker, you're a content creator, man. Your content is inspiring. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. You must have put a lot of thought into sharing what you do and how you do it. And it's also, it's very unique the way you do it and the way you bake it. Do you mind starting off telling our listeners a little bit about the Hudson Oven?
0: Sure. Yeah. We are also a cottage industry bakery. It started off as just a hobby back in 2016. I wanted to learn how to make bread upon returning from uh, France, actually studying abroad in college. And my dad actually showed me an ad in a paper. And it, it was a uh, ad for another gentleman that was making bread in his garage in the town just next to us called Nyack. So I reached out and asked if he needed any assistance, and he was happy to have me in and, and show me how to make some bread. You know, it started off just moving firewood because he's actually, he was the original owner of the oven that I now operate out of. Oh, you're kidding. Yeah. So it was just, you know, moving, moving the carbon, moving the, uh, moving the firewood around, you know, stoking, stoking the oven up and moving flour back to flour, stuff like that. But he really, uh, very quickly, let me get hands on in the dough. And I just kind of fell in love from there, from there on out. And he was doing it pretty much exactly the same way I'm currently doing it. It was all using farmer ground flour from up in the Finger Lakes region. Uh, he introduced me to that as well as the oven and the process of, you know, long, long fermentation, sourdough bread making.
1: So around that time, you're saying this was after your graduation from college. I know you studied environmental science.
0: Yes. And, and it was actually during college. This was, um, was. this was junior year of college after returning home uh, sophomore year. From, from France.
1: Now, I also saw that you had a job. I'm assuming this this was part time,
0: right? When you were oh, working yeah, for this him. Was, yeah, this was just uh, you know one one day a week or two days a week working with this gentleman. Because you were working at Stone Barns, correct? I was. Yes, that was an internship, so that was also very part time. So I was actually studying the impact that raising pigs in the woods have on the landscape. So that was a totally different project going on, but it's sort of like a silvopastoral analysis of what pigs can do to woodlands. Is it beneficial or is it negative? What's the answer? Well, uh, it turns out if left to their own devices, pigs in the woods tend to be, uh, or tend to have a negative impact. However, that's where the farmer comes in. Like any tool, um, it can be used for harm or for good. And a pig in this case is actually just a tilling tool in the woods and it's much more Nimble than than a tractor, obviously in woods, they can get around and around trees and things like that. You don't have to you don't have to cut all the trees down on a piece of land to then farm it. You can use the pigs to till the earth for you.
1: I love the phrase "pigs in the woods," man. We got to <laughs> we have to coin that and come out with something. I don't know if it's a shirt. I don't know if it's a band. I don't know, but "pigs in the woods" it's pretty interesting. Yeah. Now, for those who don't know, in my opinion, which doesn't mean much. But I think Stone Barns is one of the top restaurants on the entire East Coast of the United States. It is just absolutely, not only is the food great, but the people who work there, I would assume you would know. These are people who like have spent a lifetime studying about food. And this is like as real as it gets from the service through the preparation and the thought of the menu and the experience that the diners are getting. I mean, this place is phenomenal. Yes.
0: So in tandem with the restaurant, there is a farm on the property. So Blue Hill is the restaurant and Stone Barn Center for Food and Agriculture is the farm. So I was, I was interning on the farm. They do blend very well. Of course, chef's hours are different than a farmer's hours. We're up, you know, crack, crack at dawn and out in the fields, but everything we are growing is, an ongoing conversation with the chefs and with the restaurant um, and trying to tell a, a deeper story with the plate of food about what sustainable agriculture might look like. Or, you know, basically we're proposing suggestions as to what agriculture should look like for a sustainable future.
1: Right. Now, am I right that you interned there for multiple summers?
0: Correct. Yeah. So it started out as an internship all the while I was, you know, Eager to have a job there because I was still in college trying to figure out what I was going to be doing um, after I graduate. And that just led to the first summer as an intern, next summer as a part time farm assistant, very broad sort of uh, roaming, you know, roamer position. And then the third summer was a full time offer and I just, you know, took it on. So, and it was always a farm assistant. So I was. I was very eager to learn and I was not afraid of doing the tasks that somebody else might not want to do. So a lot of back end of the waste cycle, uh, uh, tasks. So I got really into composting and working with O2 composters, which are basically their digestion tanks for animal waste after, uh, cause they have a butchery on site as well. So the scraps from butchering turkeys and chickens and, yeah uh, and other animals like that, so, you know, it's the gnarly part of the food cycle, but it's also where most people don't want to spend their time and that's where the opportunity is, in my opinion. So I was very, very interested in learning about combos. You're literally
1: working with the back end. The,
0: yes. The animals back yes. end. Yes, literally. Well that too.
1: <laughs> um, you know what? What when I look at that and I saw that on your LinkedIn profile.
0: Yeah.
1: I see, without knowing you, a guy that they must have liked. <laughs> because <laughs> Listen, they're not going to ask you back at a place like that unless there's something special about this guy. So I immediately knew, unless you're pulling the wool over my eyes, that <laughs> you respected them and they must have respected you, even though you were a young
0: guy in college. Uh, yeah. I mean, respect doesn't really sum it up. I mean, the, the, the farm manager there, Jack Algier, and uh, my my uh, superiors, I basically looked at them all as elders because they had been doing this for you know, a decade or longer, each of them before I got introduced there. So I was like, I was just humbled to be a part of it, which is why I was so eager to just do pretty much any, any task that that was needed to be done. But so working with Jack, working with Shane Hardy, shout out to those guys. They tell me a lot and I constantly reflect on my experience there. I like to say that, you know, any farm really farms, raise entrepreneurs. They don't raise, I mean, they do raise, you raise crops and vegetables and food, but Spending time on a farm. Like if you want to get into entrepreneurialism or get into that mindset, go spend time on a farm in any capacity and and get into the weeds, no pun intended, of how that system runs. It's all about planning ahead, planting seeds. Literally, that's not a metaphor. You are literally doing it. And and planning ahead to, you know, reap the harvest in the future. And also having optimism, which is super important when you're, you know, taking risks. So optimism
1: that you're going to actually yield a crop. Exactly.
0: Really? Yeah. And did it always work out? Well, I mean, yeah, the farm is very experimental there. And it did usually work out. Kind of like making sourdough. There are things you can do. There is a, I mean, the train has a ton of momentum, right? The train of, of raising a crop and of fermenting large quantities of dough. But there are, you know, it's headed in one direction, but there's little adjustments you can make throughout the process if you're in tune enough with what's going on. To get everything back on the rails and and get the best the best harvest or best baked bread result in the end that you can uh, that you can manage, but there are occasions where everything falls apart. So, <laughs> absolutely, you have to be ready for those. Now, studying
1: environmental science—how do you get into this? From an what
0: makes that decision? Yeah, good question. Well, it's sort of an interesting. Story about that. I guess the short form of it is I went into went into college actually studying business management. That was my major. Two years in, after coming home from Paris, I also switched to environmental studies due to basically having one class about environmental ethics that I enjoyed. And I was talking with a professor more. He introduced me to the chair of the department of environmental studies, and they just, uh, you know, they were lobbying obviously for more students to be in their program. And I'm very very glad they did because it. It really is ended up being what I was interested in. So I kept the business management minor. Environmental studies was basically a result of wanting to go into agriculture, realizing that agricultural, the negative impacts of our current system of agriculture are humongous. And there's a lot of work to be done. And it seems like a good place to start if you're going to be looking into moving a needle towards a more environmentally friendly future. So my pace doesn't have an agricultural program. But they did have an environmental studies program with an internship at Stonebarn Center for Food and Agriculture. So there you go. That, that was sort of the solution to that. That's interesting. Were yeah. your parents environmentally friendly? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'd say, I mean, they're conscious. They, they eat well. They choose good foods. But no, my, uh, the family business has always been printing. So John Harnett, my grandfather, and my dad, uh, Andy Harnett, uh, have been in the printing business doing labels and business forms and yeah, I was not really interested in going into that. Um, I decided to pick up my own interests and pursue my own path. So
1: did anyone question you along the way uh, from
0: your support system saying what, no. what do you No, No, absolutely not. It's always, I mean, it might be obvious to them that they've actually encouraged um, an alternative path, but they've also given me my space to figure that out. So yeah. I think, they're, I think they're happy with the way I'm going, you know, the path I chose so far. Right.
1: So for the listeners who, who are not familiar with Chase's Instagram page, I believe the handle is The Hudson Oven. Is that right? Correct. The word
0: the is important for
1: finding our business. <laughs> you should check it out. You really should. I mean, there's a lot of bakers on Instagram and I follow a lot of bakers. And there's a, I've learned, listen, I've never trained anywhere, man. So I, I've learned by trial by fire I've learned by doing this podcast now for 60 episodes and talking to other bakers I've read a lot of books and I watch Instagram videos and I really learn you know from them what's cool about what you're doing first of all is obviously you're in the zone you're 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 the real deal on every level and I'm going to say this now you are you. I'm telling you guys this guy is going to be not that he's not a major player, but this is the real deal we're talking to. <laughs> this is the real deal. I'm really excited about what you're doing and what your future in this business is. But can you talk to us about the oven that you ended up getting from this guy and and describe it visually? And I mean, I'm curious to learn about
0: it because yeah. I don't even understand what it is. <laughs> yeah, it's so sourdough is one thing, the type of oven that I'm using and have had the pleasure of being introduced to is a whole nother story. So, you know, bread making is one interest of mine. Ovens and oven building is a whole nother. However, you know, I might sound like I know what I'm talking about with ovens, but there are there's a few people left in this country that know how to build these things. And they are just absolute savants in understanding engineering and design and blending them all together to basically create a giant heat battery that bakes bread and turns food into things that you could otherwise never, Never do.
1: Now, Chase, is this different than a pizza oven? Because there's a lot of mobile pizza ovens. Yes,
0: so it is different. Um, the main factor is the sheer mass that's involved. So a pizza oven relies to make pizzas, you rely on a broiling action of an open flame, so you have a, a huge direct heat source. Um, these bread ovens, however, however, you do fire them with open flame by building a fire right on the hearth that you will then be baking bread on eventually. But the whole point is to create enough heat for a long enough period of time in that bake chamber that it is absorbed into the very, very thick walls in comparison to a pizza oven of the bread oven. So that you have, like I said, a heat battery to then radiate heat back into the bake chamber. So that is a finite amount of energy that you're storing in this heat battery. So there is only a certain amount of bread that you can you can bake. And there's also the heat curve of, you know, the first load of bread you put in is experiencing a lot different heat than the fourth or fifth load of bread that you're putting in. So that traditionally forces people to go into much, um, a much more diverse menu as far as baked goods. But I still sort of am of the opinion that to build a business, I'm going to focus on a couple of things and try to do them well and do a lot of it. So I'm, I'm focusing on a very small part of the heat curve that this oven produces.
1: Okay. So the other day I saw you shovel 30, probably 30 ounce of loaves into this oven.
0: Yeah, thirty. yeah, 900 gram
1: yeah. loaves of sourdough, yeah. That's by cottage baker standards. That's massive.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's a lot of bread. In and one was, load. Yeah, and that was the first of four loads that day. So it's, uh, and that was, I mean, 30, that's, that's the max. There's not another ounce of dough you can get into that oven. But at the same time, sometimes you rely on loading the oven oh. that full because then the heat is less intense on the dough like if if I were to put five loaves into that same oven, there's so much available heat in the dome and the masonry that it will just burn those loaves immediately. But if you put thirty in, there's a much bigger heat exchange going on, and it's less it's you know it's more distributed it's just more diluted right um, so you have to sort of gauge that as you're as you're baking so as first of all the, the, okay, the
1: prep you you light the fire the day before you bake,
0: yes, correct, so I have the I call it the turn and burn day, which is when you're turning the dough and prepping the dough and you're, and you're burning, you know, wood and firing the oven. Is that
1: usually Thursday? Usually
0: Thursday. Yep. Preparing for our early bake and deliver for Friday, which is all of our pre-order. Wow. Fulfillment. So. So it's a two day thing. You're you're
1: loading, you're starting a fire and and that fire is burning for how long before the first loaf of bread or or first batch goes in?
0: Yeah. So we, i like to start the fire around 9 a.m. nothing too crazy on thursday and it fires we have a fire burning in there at least you know a bed of coals in there up until 6 p.m we're constantly moving the nucleus of the fire around the oven hearth to try to evenly heat the whole bake space we also move the piles of coals around um, to evenly heat the mass but uh, around six or seven o'clock we rake it out it's much nicer to overfire the oven than it is to underfire because then you can actually, you can still, there's tricks you can use to remove heat if the oven's too hot. But so, yeah, we clean the oven out. I, I use a rake and a, uh, no, not like a leaf <laughs> rake. It's like a flat piece of metal. Yeah. And uh, I actually have an ash vacuum. I didn't know those existed until a few years ago, but it, it's like a high temperature coal vacuum. Really? Yeah. So we can withstand the heat. And then that, just cleans out the hearth. So that way it's prepared to bake bread. But wait a second. There's not a coal in there. Not a coal in there. So I I clean it out after the bake, which is, a you know, okay. That's, I thought you
1: meant before the bake. So when you load the bread in, there's coals in it, obviously.
0: No, no, no.
1: So you are saying before the bake.
0: Yes. Sorry. I don't know if I misspoke there. Um, this is all pre pre pre-bake. This is the day. This is Thursday night. I completely unload the oven of all wood and coals and ash. And then, all that's left is the residual heat in the, the six to eight inch stone walls that the oven is built. About.
1: And the floor,
0: right? And the hearthstones, Yes. The which hearth are very, very thick as well.
1: Yeah. I see. You show them, you showcase them. They are, I mean, are they special stones? I mean.
0: Yeah. So it's fire brick. Um, yeah. They're a very high temp stone that's commonly used in the ceramic, you know, pottery kiln industry. They're also used in wood stoves occasionally. Like if you, if you're into wood stoves, you can. You know, look into the firing chamber, and occasionally the the firebox. It's not just steel; it's also lined with stone. And the purpose these bricks, uh, these you know high temp bricks, because the purpose is that it's absorbing heat and radiates heat more efficiently into the room. Right. It's all just a mass mass game.
1: So you put your load in, and the what happens to the energy here? Like, and yeah. what is the pace of it? So your first batch. Well, tell me before you tell me how long they bake for. What is the, the initial temperature for your first batch of bread?
0: Well, it varies. Um, obviously, it's always a changing thing. But there's also two sets of thermometers. There's the one that I is a handheld. It's a, like a little laser gun. Yeah, and that's really going to tell me what the proper what the temp of the hearth is. And then there's also a thermometer on the oven itself, which is actually it has a little thermistor that's buried. Yeah. behind the masonry of the oven dome. This is similar um, to a pizza oven.
1: Yes. We, we measure the hearth and we measure the...
0: Or, or even uh, I smoke some meat, same same situation. Yeah, very similar. Yep. Um, so I use the one that's built into the oven to basically gauge which direction the, mo- the momentum of the heat is going. Is it an increasing oven or a descending oven? And then I use the little laser handheld thing to decide where the hot pockets are and how much dough needs to go where. But I mean, the temperature is around 650. I mean, ideally, which is really hot, blazing hot. And that's because I need to bake enough bread out of this oven to, you know, at at the last load, everything's dropped down to about 350, 400 in in the course of two hours. Whereas if left Uh. to its own devices, that oven would sit at 650 for the next day, basically. Uh, It's very, so sorry, the other element to this oven is that it's extremely well insulated. So it's not just mass. It's it's mass. There's a firebox surrounded by mass or stone, you know, these very dense fire bricks. And then that's surrounded by very efficient insulation. Not the pink stuff you're familiar with in the house or anything like that. It's this, it's a, it's rock, or it's not even rock hole, it's, it's called ceramic blanket. Um, so it's even better at withstanding high temperatures and better at insulating. So
1: your fir- first load of bread yes. at 900 grams must cook in 20 minutes
0: yeah pretty much so i often do struggle with you know the browning of the exterior before the baking of the center yeah. so it's you know it's all you just have to know when i mean a lot of this is by feel as you know you know just making bread and it's in and of itself is a is a feel game obviously there's a lot of science that gets you from point A to point B but you still have to be very aware of what's going on like uh, yeah intuitively so the oven is the same way So. I mean, I quite, I quite often will open the oven, or I'll come down at you know three in the morning and look at that. I don't sleep well on bake days, first of all, because I'm uncertain about the oven. But I look at that thermometer, and it is too hot. So you have what I do to zap heat is I'll take towels or my baking linens and put them on uh, full sheet pans, and I'll soak it with cold water, and I bake wet towels to zap the heat out of the hearth. Right. And that's never fun because, you know, basically you're, you woke up very early and now you're burning up, you know, 45 minutes trying to drop the temp. So this is, uh,
1: so interesting. So you, you must use, you must pre-shape to control when you, uh, I mean, you
0: have to load fast. You yes, have to load fast. As fast as you can. So I occasionally will be able to fit five loaves on the peel at a time. And I just, you know, ping them in there. I have a, I have a system for how to load the oven. So you try to get it all in there in under five minutes. So you're, you know, it's it's quite a dance in the morning. It wakes you up, that's for sure. And then of course there's the steam injection, which is another way of I, I think I inject way more steam than is normal. And that's all in an effort to also keep keep the bread from burning. It's I'm basically dousing the loaves in water uh, before I close the oven up.
1: Okay, so you, you're loading them in and you're spraying it with uh, like an exterminator type of thing. Yeah,
0: yeah it's, that's a funny one on social media. People are horrified. Like, yeah. is Why is spraying he putting pesticides
1: on, on my bread? Yeah, like, that doesn't go over well in Westchester. For sure. <laughs> or anywhere, for that matter. But uh, I like to joke with my, my writing partner yeah. who's in Westchester. They're definitely, uh, f- for the better, more envir- environmentally friendly than people are here where I live in Long Island. This is crazy, man. So the guy you bought the oven from—did he retire?
0: So his name is Tom Daly. Shout out to Tom Daly as well. Thank you, brother. He's still a big supporter. Uh, he still lives in Nyack. He has a beautiful family that he's raising there, and he went back into the tech industry. So he came. He took a hiatus from the tech world uh, to to make bread. Basically, he was extremely more detail oriented than I was as far as like spreadsheets and firing the oven. And he would—he has these. I mean, they were very. Um, Nice to look at when i was learning how to fire the oven myself but i don't take any sort of data on the the bake process or the the what you know firing the oven process like he did it's very detailed so he you know he was trying to get this bakery up and running in, in nyack and it had good feedback but i'm not not sure why he he moved on but he went back to the tech world
1: well listen it's um i could tell you that my life is drastically different than it was i i come from television production. Yeah, and and really like the way we're talking about. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. J-j-jumba. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Bread and, and how you operate, how I operate now. I operated the same way in TV and film. I put everything, every waking hour into it all. Yeah. And you live that life for a while. Bread is, is mentally and physically, you got to love it. You got to be curious and intrigued about the process. Mm-hmm. You know, you talk about being an entrepreneur and there there is ways to make a, a good amount of money, but it, I don't know, like the money definitely different than it was for me in TV and film, but that's yeah. not what's driving me to do it.
0: Right. Yeah. There's other currencies. Uh, yeah. You know, there's other currencies. So it's Uh,
1: possibly this guy wanted a life change again, uh, because it's it's not easy,
0: easy. especially the way
1: you're doing it. Yeah. I mean, I do wonder what the future brings for you, because you're also saying you're you're, you're, and they they, your interests overlap. Yes. You know, being an oven engineer and Uh being a baker. Someone. You're an entrepreneur. You're marketing. You're doing interesting things how you distribute your bread which i want to get into but uh you know can you sustain the model you're in now for 20
0: years yeah i uh (laughs) we're we're currently thinking through uh what is the future and and what does it look like so yeah you don't have to
1: yeah yeah you don't have to even know it's just right at at some point it's something uh, uh, it's good to think about and talk about there's no there's no rush to, to come up with the answers Absolutely, but uh, things take time. You yeah, gotta, yeah. You know, so it's a luxury to know
0: exactly what the next steps are.
1: <laughs> it's good to not know. To be honest with you, my philosophy is: you enjoy the journey and the discovery of what the process is. That's yes. what makes it interesting. So, you're doing but, great. Don't stress not, yourself out.
0: <laughs> but another point to that, though, like on, entrepreneurially, I think that it's a very good sign when you can't find it. perfect examples of something you're thinking about, like, like there's an opportunity there. And that's, that's a huge motivational factor for me and not giving up on certain things. Cause I mean, it's constantly this yin and yang and like a scale of like, am I just crazy and am I pursuing this like ridiculous thing? That's never going to work out at scale or, uh, is, is there some tweaking and some, some new, some new thinking that can be brought to the table to, to make it work.
1: So, okay. You just touched upon something that's that I'm interested in talking about, because I know a lot of bakers that do markets, and they they're great bakers.
0: Yeah,
1: I'm interested in scale. Are you
0: interested in scale? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Okay, I think scale is the only way to move the needle. That's well, like you said, there's there's other currency, right? It's not all money. Well, absolutely, absolutely. I'm not talking about scale in in currency like literal money. I'm talking about selling more organically grown regional flour. okay Okay. that's that's the main goal and it just happens i mean first of all to do that you need to make money because you need to run a business you need to play you need to play the game (laughs) um but by using the flour that we do it's i mean it's not just a justification for scale i mean it is genuinely going to change the way that this country runs on basically agriculturally like if we can if we can support these small scale grain farmers upstate maybe they won't be so small scale eventually all right chase
1: i i want to use it i want to use that flower how do i get it <laughs> farmer ground
0: well uh for the longest time the way that i was introduced to acquiring this stuff from tom daly uh was driving my truck down to uh the bronx and picking up from a company called green market oh. uh, I wonder if the place I, I go to out here has it. They have they're huge. They might. But uh, I mean, listen, the invisible hand, man, you just gotta you just gotta say you want it and and your your provider should figure that out. <laughs> it's in his best interest. That's true. <laughs> yeah. So what's it called? Uh, farmer ground Flower. And it's from the Finger Lakes where? Um up near Geneva. Okay. Uh, Seneca Lake area. Um I mean there's a whole you know, there's a lot of agriculture going on up there. Um, but grain specifically is it's pretty cool. Are there are other brands of of flour up there that are great. Uh, another great one is Wild hive. Um, they're actually much closer, and their mill is much closer. So like if you wanted to visit Farmer gun flour, you're gonna from Long Island, you're driving six hours probably. But if you wanted to visit Wild hive in Clinton Corners, that's probably only two hours for you. Got it. And I mean, you're talking to the miller. Like these guys that that operate these these mills are also the business owners. Like, and as a baker, that's doing the same thing. It's that's a short feedback loop. Now I see you milling flour. I
1: don't I don't know anything about milling flour. Are you actually are you buying bags fifty pound bags of flour from these guys and using that mostly? Are you milling your own flour?
0: Yeah, like I mean, literally, I was late to this call because I I was receiving an order for I think it was forty five. 25 pound bags. And I was just unloading that and bringing it into the house. So, I mean, you know, the milling stuff is also just a hobby for me. It's a, an exercise for getting closer to the grain, understanding exactly what it is and how it works and what's the anatomy and what are the aromas and, you know, just what is this thing that we're, that I'm in touch with every single day. It's not just a powder in a bag. It's, you know, what are the origins?
1: Yeah. I want to talk about the bricks that you offer. Yeah. Yeah the, the, uh, yeah, the baking kits. The baking kits, but they're like one-offs, right? So yeah. I order this kit from you, and it makes one loaf of bread.
0: Correct. One brick
1: makes one loaf. I'm really intrigued by what you have going on. It, it seems to me that you're, you have dried starter, sourdough starter, in the mix already. And, yep. and from what I understand, you all you do is literally add water.
0: Correct. So, yeah, I mean, the, the idea behind the product, first of all, the same quantity of flour that's in that brick is what it takes for me to make a finished loaf of bread. So I'm moving the needle as far as generating more sales of regional flour and getting people more used to what that tastes like. But in the case of the brick, it's also getting people used to what it feels like and what it's like to make bread with it versus, you know, your, your P- Pillsbury flour out of the supermarket or something that's crazy high gluten, you know. I like to say that sourdough bread making and bread making in general is more of a process and less of a recipe. I've made very nice loaves of bread before by just going by feel, you know, pouring some starter into a bowl of water and adding flour till it feels right. Like that's not a recipe. That is a process and that's feel and I think that's how bread has been made historically for probably 99% of bread's existence. <laughs> Yeah. is that less of recipe, you know, we're not weighing it to the gram We're, you know, they're just filling, filling buckets and troughs that they're familiar with. And, you know, this much of this bucket makes good bread in this size of a trough type of thing.
1: That's how I make bread, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yeah.
0: That's, I think mean, that's the fun way to make bread. I feel like an idiot because I am, uh, I, d- I heard, I heard, I was listening to your podcast. One of them was you still use cups and volume, right? I just switched
1: literally in the last yeah. two weeks. Nice. He did all that math my son did it. He's home from college this summer. And as we bake, we convert, we we, we write it down. Then I go back to the computer. Yeah. You know, I, I. (laughs) Baker's
0: math is an animal. I mean, I remember. It's crazy. My my first bakes alone and I'm just. Yeah. My, my brain is like spaghetti. I just can't wrap my head around what's going on with the recipe. And, you know, it just teaches perseverance. It's like, I mean, the, the worst part is that it's in grams and kilograms and not even pounds and ounces. Yeah, Most
1: yeah. I got, I got used to that over time now. And for the people who don't know, you know, the, the reason you want to ultimately switch and it may be obvious to the real bakers that listen, you know, it's because it, it's more exact and uh, it provides the continuity and you're making the exact same like eight cups of me measuring out might be different than eight cups from a high school student who's in here and not even used to weighing things or measuring things in cups, they're eight cups, and then you put six different ingredients that have been weighed, it's gonna be drastically different. Absolutely. You know,
0: Is it flat in the cup? Right, or I mean, it's a compressible material as well. Like you can pack a brick into a brick, like flour. Take the air out. Will be a brick, and that's.
1: (laughs) So that's what happened here, is we had more and more people helping and more and more inconsistencies. Yes. And, and disasters. I mean, disasters where I would have to throw out 30, 50 loaves because oh. I wasn't here. Yeah. And they followed the recipe. They didn't do anything wrong. They didn't know. They're not experienced. Yeah. Not leveling off the cup. You know, I also can, like, I can be 30 feet away from someone who's mixing and hear the mixer and say, Nope. That's way too dry, guys. Like, I, I literally know. That is what Every step of it, but I started far from science, Um and I respect the science, and I learn more and more about science, and I love talking to people that are into the science. But I, I just started like I'm going to bake bread, and I'm, gonna, if, uh, I'm, I'm like I could do that, I could yeah. do that, and I follow recipes, and I didn't really understand. Yeah, at
0: well, the beginning, the, beginner, the yeah. beginning recipes are are volumetric. It's in the U.S. Pick up is going
1: to be by cups and you know cups yeah. and quarts. Yeah, so it's uh. Interesting, so yeah. with the bricks, do you sell more at the market you do, or do you sell more? Uh, I know people could order online and you ship?
0: yes, we do a lot of that. I mean, social media has been great for that lately. it's you know it's it's the thing that when somebody sees a crumb shot of you cutting a loaf open and they're like, Wow, that's a nice loaf of bread. I wish I could mm-hmm. hold that or cut one open myself. It's like, well, here's the here's the thing. Do the thing, <laughs> like make make your own loaf. See what it see what it's like, and and get your hands in the dough. <laughs> so that's the idea. It's just this shelf stable, shippable, very efficiently packaged product that is scalable, and it's also wholesalable. <laughs> you know the concept of wholesaling bread, especially the way that I make it, is I cringe at the thought of selling it for any less margin than I currently do, because there's so much effort and energy and thought and love going into every loaf. Whereas with the brick, we just blended the ingredients. We're going to set you off, you know, at an advantage to start, and then you have to add the love and add the add the attention and add the care and make your own loaf.
1: You uh, you wholesale it now?
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. We wholesale. We have around forty retail outlets, and actually, right after this call, I'm driving down up to Connecticut uh, to a new customer who's going to carry them. But yeah, they're in grocery stores, and we actually just um, got into Whole Foods recently, so.
1: How many units do you have to buy to
0: to be a wholesale client? Uh, We sell in cases of six and we deliver them ourselves. Although, you know, right now we're delivering to very hyper local stores. I mean, Connecticut's the furthest we're going to be going. So I'm looking into what it would take to ship these more efficiently. But wait, uh, so
1: a store can buy as little as six and try it and put it on the shelf?
0: Yes. Yeah. Case of six, that's the start. And it's like, let's see how it sells. If if it keeps selling, we'll, you know, we'll sell you, obviously sell you more. And is there
1: a discount if you buy a pallet of them? Absolutely. (laughs) So how much does the customer pay for this? I'm waiting for that order to land. (laughs) How much does the customer pay?
0: uh, $8 for a bread brick and or a pizza brick because we have our our finer flour that's for pizza dough.
1: So it's like a double zero type of flour that you're using starter. It's a naturally leavened pizza dough.
0: Yes. Yeah. Naturally leavened. I mean, so the catch here is there is commercial yeast in this blend. Of the pizza. Um, Yeah. For pizza and, and for the bread. Oh, and and for for the bread and for the bread, you know, it's, it's a sourdough starter is included. It's not the only rising agent. I mean, it's on the ingredient list. Commercial yeast is there. Okay. So it's, you know, the leavening agent, like, I don't know if you've ever experimented with dry sourdough, but you need to, it's a great way to transport or to store sourdough, but to, just add water, it's not going to rise. No, I've never done that. But you know, I
1: have interviewed the actor, Patrick Duffy, who has a business of dried sourdough. Okay. He sells dried sourdough. Yeah. Pretty interesting.
0: So you just add water and I mean, you have to bring it through a couple of paces and feedings, but it's usually like around 40% the time of what it would take to start a new starter. Mm -hmm. And also at the same time, if you have your own starter that you care about and have had for a decade you're continuing that lineage. You know, it's, it's your original collection of bacteria and yeast that you're reviving again.
1: Right. So how much do you sell your 900 gram loaf for at a market?
0: Uh, $12. Do
1: you do like a, a country loaf would be 12.
0: Yep. Do you bake with the, do you sell inclusion bread, cheese bread? Nope. Not yet. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, so that's part of the cottage thing. Um, you know, Those, uh, you know, dairy and things like that are sort of frowned upon. So we're waiting. Yeah. Waiting for our shop to open. So.
1: I would like to try to sell the bricks. Oh, yeah. Okay. Let's do it. I really would, man. I will put, when I take my mobile unit out, I'm going to be selling loaves of my bread. But. Yeah. I would also like to have this out on a table because I do get like bread nerds coming to me.
0: Yeah, sure. Yeah. Or people that want to, you know, they're like, yeah, great. How do I start? It's like, here, like that's the ant. That's the point of the product. How do I start? Here, take this. Go home, add water, make some bread. <laughs> like just and and don't think about the recipe. Just just get your hands in the dough and, and bake your first loaf and fall in love. <laughs> that's the idea.
1: Do you do live demos of this? Like, do you uh, go to a farm stand and say, "Hey,"
0: not yet, not yet. Um, so a couple of markets have requested demos, and you know, I mean, it would be hard to make a loaf of bread live. It's hard to also pack that into a very you know, a 30 second consumable thing, although it's perfect for social media. You can.
1: Yeah, but we could do it. I, I, I noticed I use the we. Yeah, um, right. <laughs> like you do a television show uh, with a turkey, man. You pre-bake it. Right. You go course. through the steps and then what do they call it? I interviewed another, a TV food producer. Uh, oh, there's a phrase for it. You have them all under the table at the various stages. You <laughs> right. just have to plan it. Right. And it's like, you, it's all about cutting and editing the video.
0: Yeah.
1: Well, I'm saying even live. You go to a oh. farm stand, you mix it, and then mix from it. under the table you pull out the finished loaf.
0: Right. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that'd be easy enough. Yeah. Sounds like some good Instagram content right there.
1: Yeah. Um, so we covered the brick. The other thing I want to cover, which is one of the first things I, I found out about you, because I independently, and maybe I saw someone else do a version of it. I lost my will and passion to do this a year ago. I was thinking about getting cabinets made and plopping them out in front of delis and grocery stores and markets and putting loaves of sourdough in. And now I know you do this, you call it a scavenger hunt. And, yeah. and I think there's it's a, it's different a, di- a little different, right? Yeah. People are actually looking for where it, they're trying to find the bread. You drop clues?
0: Yes. So... The scavenger hunt, I mean, I didn't even name it that. It was just like the, you know, the public started calling it that. So I was like, all right, let's roll with that. Let's just get sure scavenger hunt. Yeah. (laughs) But what it really is, is uh, somebody that was learning how to make bread, wasn't confident that he could charge any quantity for the bread he was making, but didn't want the loaves to go to waste. Didn't want to throw them out. So I dragged a cabinet out to the street, filled it with bread, and left a coffee can on on the shelf, put a sign up that said, fresh bread. I didn't say it's good bread, but it's fresh bread. <laughs> um, leave what you think it's worth to support the next bake. Maybe it'll pay for the ingredients is what I was thinking. So that's, that's how it started. There was a, a really good feedback loop on the first few setups that I did. And I just started to, you know, nurture that little, that little ember, that little coal of excitement. You know, people were very excited to get this bread, even though it wasn't you know perfect. And they were expecting it every Sunday. So that's, I mean, that's really how the business started, was doing this, seeing how excited people got about something I was making, even though I, was, I didn't feel confident that it was great. But it also forced me to wise up and build a website that could collect uh, emails. And it was like, basically, if you want to know where, the, where we set this cabinet up next, just subscribe to our email list and you'll get an email randomly on a Sunday morning. No warning. And it'll be in an interesting place that you probably wouldn't mind going and visiting on a Sunday afternoon or morning. And you still do that? Still do it. Yeah, I've taken a short hiatus because we're very, very busy at the moment. We are building out a bakery. So that's a little expose there. Uh, so we're, we're uh, you know, neck deep in work. Wait, you're going into brick and mortar? Brick and mortar, baby. What town? Uh, Croton-on-Hudson. Wow. Yeah. Good for you. Mortar. Always got to keep it near the river towns, you know? Absolutely. But that's going to help us produce more bread, obviously. But I I still haven't decided on an oven. So anyway, I mean, I'm torn about deciding, you know, do I continue wood fire? Do I get an electric? Do I go gas? Like, but you know, I was going to ask you that.
1: I was going to say in the future, and I, that's where I was going with some of those questions earlier on about the future. Like, yeah, listen, I, I see it in professional pizza and I'm talking the highest end of pizza. Yep, they're now. These ovens are just these electric deck guns. They're crazy. Yeah, they
0: rip. <laughs> I mean, they're hard to hard to
1: argue with. I mean, it produces a result, and it's you control the hearth, you control the top. Yep, there's no uneven in the bake. There's no inconsistencies. Yep, I'm not. My opinion is that the consumer is just as happy with the
0: end product, but that's debatable. Right. I mean, yeah, blind tasting. It's like, was this baked in a wood-fired oven or not? And there are different types of wood-fired ovens. There's white ovens where there is no interaction with any open flame at all, but it's, it's being, you know, the baking chamber is being heated through the walls of the oven. Mm-hmm. And then there's gray ovens where there's a firebox, but only the flames come up into the bake chamber. Right. Um, so there's, you know, a firebox below the hearth, the flames rip up and heat the hearth and the dome. That's a that's a very classic like French style wood fired bread oven, and then there's the black ovens, which is like you know the one I have, which is an American made thing, and it's you just firing it right on the hearth. It's kind of down and dirty and raw, and you know it's messy, and but it heats the hearth quicker, in my opinion, and heats the dome quicker, and is just uh, you know a more real experience. But uh, hang on, back to the cabinet. I, I we are still doing it, and we intend to come back to it. Um, I mean that was. Every ounce of energy I've ever put into a cabinet setup has come back tenfold, as far as people's enjoyment, people expressing how much they enjoyed the operation, and also just sheer marketing. Like people, I love people, it. People want to engage with it, and it's good. It's good branding. So we're going to keep doing it. I think it's a great concept. Yeah, thanks.
1: Yeah, that's that's really cool. My writing partner lives in Dobbs Ferry, and uh, on oh, no the way, there's a. There's a uh, co-working space that you, you distribute your bread out of?
0: Yes. Yeah. So that's, this is our, you know, we we host a pre-order every week. Uh, the pre-order closes on Wednesday nights at 8 p.m. And then obviously, because we have to mix turn and burn on Thursday and bake and deliver on Friday. So you're pre-ordering for a Friday pickup. We have eight locations um, for as pickup points. And the idea is you go to our website, you choose from the drop-down menu, which pickup location is most convenient for you. and We assign you a locker number and we send you all of the pickup instructions on Thursday afternoon. So that's your exact locker number and the exact instructions for picking up from whatever location you chose, because they're all different. There's antique shops, there's uh, shared co-working spaces, there's coffee shops. Coffee shops love to have a a locker in them because it's, uh, first of all, unique, and it also drives traffic. It's like, if you're picking up your bread, why would you not? I you know, go get a coffee as well. So do you what are they, cubbies? Yeah, well, I put a lot of research into these, uh into the exact locker design that I was trying to find. And I landed on. Um, these are antique 1940s filing cabinets that were used to organize military files. So they're these really cool army green with like brass handles and they're super patinaed and just they're also just beautiful pieces of furniture that any any shop owner would would like to have in their space. And they fit perfectly, two loaves of bread. Commonly, I will, people will order more than that and I'll have to assign them two lockers, but no big deal. There's, you know, just add another locker. Yeah. But the idea is now we can service 80 households before noon versus driving around and going to every individual house, which is a lot of gas. You know, I use a quarter tank of gas or or less to make all the deliveries. And it's just more efficient. And after a day of turning and burning and then baking early in the morning, it's like the last thing you want to do is drive all this bread around, (laughs) so. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's, it's myself and my partner in life and partner in business, Madison. So, you know, there's not a lot of, uh, labor to be, you know, to go around.
1: What about Saturdays and Sundays? Are you doing farmer's markets?
0: Uh, no, I don't. <laughs> no farmer's markets. Not yet anyways. Um, Cause I thought I saw you had a tent up, an orange tent. Yeah. So that was a. That was a a request for the town that we're going to be opening up our shop in. Um, okay. They do this, you know, the blues festival um, yearly. It's just a one one off thing. I mean, it was it's pretty convincing. Like we did very well, and it's nice, you know, you sell you sell a lot, and people love to be there and talk to you and learn about your product. But the idea, I mean, I came up with this locker pickup model during a Thanksgiving pre order pickup day, where I baked, you know, it was a couple hundred loaves of bread, and people were coming to one location to pick up. And I had a lot of time to sit in this, it was actually in an art gallery, in this art gallery, and just think about what else I could be doing (laughs) in that moment in time. So, uh, uh, that's, that's where the idea for the locker pickup model was born. I said, I could have just, you know, I sent everybody an email to come pick up their bread between this time and this time. I could have just said, also, here's your locker number, open the door and your your bread's there. So it, it, the idea came about very organically.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's
0: great. So we're going to keep keep pushing on the locker pickups. Keep pushing on the pickups. Are you going
1: to call the new bakery Hudson Oven? It will be
0: named Hudson Oven.
1: I love it. Yeah. Alright, man. Yeah. Uh, this has been fascinating. I think you are fascinating. I think you're the real deal.
0: Yeah, thanks, man.
1: And I um, want to talk to you about getting some bricks for sale by Side Hustle Bread.
0: Absolutely. We're going to Spread the bricks far and wide. That's the goal. So I'm stoked that you're, you're interested.
1: In that. I'm very interested. And more than that, I am a believer in everything you're going to continue to do in life. I'm serious, man. You're the real deal. And thanks. this has been an honor to speak to you.
0: Likewise. Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for finding us and, and for inviting us on. This has been a treat.
1: Absolutely. Thanks, man. This episode of Bread for the People was brought to you by Side Hustle Bread, Long Island's handcrafted artisanal bread company. Side Hustle Bread is a family-run business that's bringing the neighborhood feel back to Long Island one loaf at a time. If you like what you're hearing, don't forget to head on over to iTunes and rate and review this episode. Reviewing and rating is the most effective way to help us grow our audience. This episode was produced by Milestone TV and Film. I'm your host, Jim Serpico. Blessed be the bread, everyone.